and welcome to Link to the Cast, episode 134. On the show this week, will we find out how the old saying goes this week? Stay tuned, listeners. Wargroove Cast Week 2, Let He Who's Without Sin Raise the First Tax, and our book club this week, that game your nephew wouldn't shut the fuck up about, or at least one of those games, Plants vs. Zombies. Let's start the show. This is Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. Available everywhere all good podcasts are sold. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify and many more. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan. Joined by uh, a much improved and well-rested Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you this week? What up, D-Roy? You what up? <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. Yeah, I... Yeah. Jesus, I was a sh- just a state last week, wasn't I? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was vintage. It was going back and listening to the podcast I often will listen to the first 15 minutes to make sure it sounds alright when we're uploading yeah. um, and as I was uploading I, I popped all over again at you forgetting what the old saying was yeah. do you know the, the, the most <laughs> genuinely dist- one of the, the funniest moments we ever had on here and it was completely by accident the, the most distressing thing about all of that is that it was only Tuesday you know that's, <laughs> and that was a week for you yeah that fucking was so I'm liking this plan of ours of, of recording the show on Monday, so I still have life in me to fucking do these things. The problem is now when it comes later in the year and there's actual like news and stuff breaking, we're going to be tragically out of date. Well, I mean, you know, I'm stuck in the early 90s anyway, so... Uh, True enough. And a week behind is pretty much on point for me, so... Yeah. Yeah. I tried to. I, I was thinking about staying up and hip with the kids this week and, and playing Apex Legends. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just physically couldn't bring myself to do it. I, it's I, free. Do you know what? I just I, like the the whole like the massive online part throws me off. The battle royale part throws me off, and the free to play bit throws me off. Like I've, it's just it's triumvirate of uh, reasons I would not want to play that game. I know it's a thing, and that's about as far as I've gone with it. So yeah, yeah. I'd be curious to watch some quick looks or something, but I don't think I, because I know what I'm like, and I don't want to waste the the bandwidth on downloading it when I know <laughs> I might play it for like an hour and sure. then never again. Yeah. Um, I'd prefer to do that for every time that I decide. Okay, and this has happened multiple times to me where I'm like, I'm going to play the two Wolfenstein games back to back again and I download them and then like pretty much as soon as they're finished something else comes out and I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> I had to delete them for Red Dead and then I reinstalled the first one a couple of weeks ago and then Resident Evil came out and I can't remember if I deleted it again but I certainly didn't play it. Um, but yeah, maybe sometime in 2020 I'll get that window <laughs> to play it. Yeah, I'm still at some point maybe going to play fucking Horizon Zero Dawn so, you know. Um, what have you been up to this week, my friend? Uh, so I um, very much... It's, it, it, what you've written in the notes here is very fucking ominous <laughs> out of context. I that. Yeah, so very much on brand with me, uh, all of the gifts that I got for my birthday were either Studio Ghibli related or about Chernobyl. So, you know, <laughs> uh, as you do. You're going to have to wind back there for a second, buddy, because again, this seems very morbid and explain why people might be getting you Chernobyl related gifts. I have a, an, a a unique 
morbid curiosity with the events of the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. In as much, in the same way that a lot of people might have a thing about like true crime. I was going to say in the way that people have a thing about like World War Two. Yeah, there's that either. You know, um, it's just it's a very interesting thing that happened, and I don't know, uh, like stuff like uh, uh, natural disasters, earthquakes, typhoons, and you like the uh, earthquake in 2011 in Japan and the nuclear disaster happened after that Fukushima stuff like that I don't know just um, that sort of stuff Uh, appeal would be the wrong word but interest me and so um, and like I my plan all along was I was going to go to Chernobyl for my 30th but um, that didn't happen but you know it'll probably still happen at some point and so uh, a friend of mine got me a book because I everything that I've ever um, discovered about Chernobyl has been through a couple of documentaries that I've watched and then like loads of kind of photo reels of just seeing Chernobyl, uh, Pripyat and just the the whole area and then that one level in uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare um, where you actually can play around Pripyat and you can see like the Ferris wheel and whatnot. So uh, yeah, my friend got me a book called uh, Chernobyl. Honestly, it it seems the Metro series would appeal to you, Uh, would appeal to that particular itch of yours. No, because that's a little bit too... You know, I've never played fucking Stalker for crying out loud because that's just it's a little bit too intense for me. Um, but yeah, so there's this book called Chernobyl um, One Twenty Three Forty, um, written by a guy called Andrew Leverbarrow, who I don't know, like I don't think he's uh, kind of like an, an author per se. Um, I think he was just someone that was very much interested in Chernobyl in the same way that I am. So um, his book uh, it kind of goes. One chapter is about sort of the events of, of Chernobyl, and then the next chapter is about his experiences of going there on a on a tour. So I kind of got to find out more about what happened, and also kind of because I've I've read a lot about as well about people going. Because at some point I am going to go, um, so I really got to see kind of both sides of it. And uh, and I mean, for anyone who knows the name Chernobyl but doesn't know anything kind of further past that, basically. Um, the, uh, they were trying to uh, perform a, a test uh, to see um, if there was like a kind of major electrical shutdown. Um, would the motors that you know basically keep the factory going, um, how long they would run for until either like the backup generators or like um, plugging straight into the national grid would get everything up and running again? Um, but they dropped the power too low, and then from there uh, the uh, yeah the unit four exploded and um shit got really bad and uh, a lot of stuff that i didn't realize about it was um how negligent the soviet union were in terms of because they pretty much afterwards just blamed the whole thing on uh, operator error and to a certain degree uh the operators do take some of the blame but as the the whole point of a, a nuclear uh, reactor uh, a nuclear plant, which you would be surprised to know, is they need to be designed in a way that even if like four, if one thing fails, there's about five things that can be done to prevent that turning into a major issue. Uh, and uh, the Chernobyl power plant was not built like that in mind. The uh, costs cut left, right, and centre. Um, there had been a, a prior accident at Chernobyl, and there was a prior uh, accident at another power plant, and like all of the things that they could have learned from them in terms of the the design features and where uh, cuts uh, costs had been cut um, had not been used 
uh, in reflection to kind of improve on, on safety standards and whatnot. So it's just a very interesting read. And then it gets it gets really graphic and, and really like haunting and tragic with uh, the stories of the people who went in to just, you know, fix that situation as best as they can. And um, what they were going into, really just knowing that you know, there was no way they were going to come out of this without suffering some, uh, you know, life-altering changes to to their anatomy. Um, and when uh, Andrew really kind of goes into de- detail about radiation sickness and what happens, and it's just, it's horrendous. And, you know, there were a lot of these guys that went in and girls that went in knowing exactly what they were going into. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty fucking intense. Um... But it's it's a really good read. Like it's not it's not it's not written like a history buff, and it's not written with too much technical jargon. It's like it's actually it's a pretty simple book. It's a pretty easy read. Like I got through it in a week, no trouble. Um, so you know, if anyone's ever been interested in reading about Chernobyl, it's a really good place to start. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, Ireland has a strange historic link with Chernobyl. Um, really? In that, uh, starting right after the disaster, and I believe. Um, to this day it continues even though most of them are grown up and adults now there was a tradition for Irish families to take in uh, children from around Chernobyl at Christmas time is that so I never realised that was a thing yeah they'd come over it was always on the news over here when I was growing up and that was like the first I would have heard of Chernobyl because obviously the disaster was uh, before before I was born um and um is that like is it a a government initiative or no I think it was just like a kind of like a humanitarian kind of thing where like I don't know who it was that got, that got it together in the first place I'll google it away while we're talking here um, I can imagine if it's to do with the kids I can, only half surprised to see the fucking late late toy show having something to do with it or something yeah so there's a Chernobyl Children's Trust in Ireland um, they're a registered charity set up and run by Irish volunteers committed to helping impoverished children living in contaminated and disadvantaged areas of Belarus um, so I imagine it's true then. Yeah, and that's actually one of the other things as well. Is something that I didn't really take on board is you see the 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 damage in like I always knew about um, adults and, and children, certainly um, women that were pregnant with children, and like the horrifying um, disabilities and birth defects and stuff that happened. But I didn't realize that the impact that it had more on Belarus than it had on Ukraine because of I don't know whether like weather patterns or whatever spreading the mm. radiation across. Yeah. Uh, and it's oh boy I've you know I can't watch horror but I can watch pictures of you know actual real life uh, stuff that's you know not you know normal, that says more about the horror genre or you well this is true <laughs> uh, but it's still it's still uncomfortable to, to see but that's 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 a good thing I'm, I'm, I'm glad you know Ireland has that one over us so well done you yeah um, yeah the, the only real <clears throat> kind of like obviously like I, I know what happened and uh, like I'm trying to think back and having studied history and, and, and strategic studies and stuff like that in, in college at undergrad and postgrad like what kind of interaction I had with like discussing or, or reading about the disaster and really the only thing I have was like my postgraduate thesis was on contemporary nuclear security so there was uh, a fair bit of discussion about uh, the complete l- lack thereof in terms of uh, safeguarding nuclear stockpiles or nuclear plants in the old Soviet Union 
uh, and about how like in terms of the disaster at the plant and then in terms of just like the the uranium intended for weapons was just kind of left scattered around behind the iron curtain when the soviet union collapsed um to kind of cut corners and hear some interesting stories on that stuff rather than read a ton of boring ass books like i did when i was writing there's a great (laughs) documentary called countdown to zero oh yeah 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 that talks about how like they were literally finding pieces of yellow cake uranium in sheds in the ukraine with just like a padlock kind of hanging off the door yeah it's just um doesn't bear thinking about no Um, no a more a more recent thing that's really good is uh drew scanlon's cloth map documentary where he goes on the tour uh of chernobyl and he's talking about how you can't so there's like an official unofficial you don't really go on tours of chernobyl you go as like the you go under the pretense of studying or something to that effect that you can't because there's a whole thing about companies making profit off the disaster mm. so they kind of have to say that we you know we're not here as tourists we're here kind of like an educational situation yeah. um I, the, the, yeah. thing, the thing that reminds me actually um is uh, so yeah i remember watching um drew scanlon's documentary and it's pretty intense but it seems there's at least i'm not gonna say a sense of it being regulated but there's a sense of being you know fully aware of the dangers and and making sure that um people that do these tours are as safe as they possibly possibly can be but there's um there's a show on netflix uh called dark tourist or dark tourism and uh, there's a guy who does uh, a similar tour um around fukushima or areas of that nature and like they're being taken on these tours and they're, they're they're like oh no it's completely safe like there's nothing to worry about and like they've all got uh meters to you know to read like levels of radiation and there's at one point they're in this area and i think it hits like three thousand rotogens an hour or something which is um well, basically three times you know three thousand times the lethal amount the amount that you should be able to intake yeah. and um they're like you know there, there's no fucking way that and the girl who's on this tour is like there's no fucking way we would have been like allowed anywhere near this if we had been doing a similar tour in Chernobyl. So um, I'm probably not going to do Fukushima anytime soon. They even have like um, on the Drew Scanlon documentary, they have those Geiger uh, counters, um, and the like. There's there's a point where they're talking about how like when you get within, you get to the the old um, the kind of the villages around the plant and about how there's still a lot of nuclear dust sitting on stuff and that you shouldn't disturb anything Mm -hmm. because you're fucked and Mm -hmm. you can't eat any food when you're within the a certain exclusion zone of the place um because that's how you that even more than breathing like if you eat food while you're out in the open within this zone that's that's even worse for you um yeah it doesn't bear thinking about although one of the kind of like a weird zen thing to end that documentary on was like they pointed out that wildlife has actually flourished without people there and there's like wild dogs and horses which are rare things to see in the world yeah like most of them are domesticated and bred in captivity and all this sort of stuff but just to see them kind of running around wild around there is is kind of like it 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 twists your melon a bit and it's more like so more so than chernobyl it's pripyat that i'd really want to go to to see you know this whole city that is just you know, one day I had a hundred thousand people, and then the next day 
it's just a, a ghost town and it's been that yeah. way since and um, you see um, or you play games like Last of Us and you see you know um, cities that are overrun by nature and this is that in real life and yeah. I would imagine um, has heavily influenced influenced those types of post-apocalyptic games um, yeah. for you know seeing nature overrun yeah city, there's you know? there's like um, isn't there a Call of Duty game that recreates that the Ferris wheel. Yeah, I, I said that earlier. It's Call of Duty yeah. Modern Warfare. I couldn't I couldn't remember which one of them. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't remember which one of them it was. Yeah, yeah. I know it said Call of Duty, but I couldn't remember which one. Modern Warfare. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyway, less morbid stuff. All right. <laughs> well, not not unmorbid stuff. Uh, this this is a couple of weeks ago. I went to see uh, Welcome to Night Vale live. Um, that's kind of my bit of life stuff. Um. So do, have you ever listened to Welcome to Night Vale? Uh, not really. I, I know what it is. I kind of, yeah. you know, I know of it, but it's not something I've really ever properly listened to. Mm. So it's um, it's a podcast. It's um, it's kind of like at a nexus of a bunch of different things I'm interested in. Like it is a comedy podcast, but it's 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 a lot like radio theater, um, and it's it's set in like a radio station in this fake desert town in an unspecified part of the United States called Night, Night Vale. Um, and the kind of weird and wonderful, it's very much like a Twilight zone sort of town. And um, every show is structured like the, the news bulletin from the, the radio station. Mm. And there's all these weird and wonderful characters uh, in it. And it's one of these things that, you know, kind of like radio theater back in the day and stuff like that you often wonder how these things would translate to a live experience because because it is nominally just a radio show you would think oh the live experience is just a man sitting at a table um like where where is the interest in that so this is my second time going to see night vale live <clears throat> firstly it's it's a great the <clears throat> excuse me sorry um the the audience for these shows is is really great they it like it spans i find this when i go to podcasts uh, live more than probably any other form of media that the the span of the audience in terms of age and and gender and an orientation is just all across the board um like there were people old and young uh gay and straight like like it was just it was like a Benetton ad in there man it was great um and the vibe is good with the crowd all the time like there's such a kind of like it's such a irish crowds have a reputation of being nice and warm and welcoming anyway but it was just like it was really nice and the the live experience of this show so there's always like a mix going under the podcast uh, like a, a music mix by a guy called disparition and he is sitting at one desk in the corner of the stage just kind of mixing the 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 soundtrack for the show live which is always cool. Um, and then Cecil Baldwin, who is the, the, the narrator, the radio show host, um, he kind of is your guide through the evening. And he's like, a, a lot of the people involved in this are New York uh, alternative theater people. So they kind of have, like, they have good stage presence. They have, they have fun with the format and kind of each tour rather than just be an episode of the podcast done live each tour has its own theme 
and its own kind of uh, story running through it. So this one was about there being a spy in the midst of Night Vale that can disguise himself or herself as anybody. Um, and yeah, it's like a surprisingly, for such a simple uh, production, when you listen to it, it's um, a really fun live experience. It's It's part comedy, part kind of cosmic heart is very Lovecraftian in a lot of ways it's very Twilight Zone um Cecil is just this incredible like he has this incredible voice this incredible radio voice uh, combined with this incredible theatricality uh to his movements on stage um and they have a like a little supporting cast of characters who come in as guests doing spots on the radio show and it was it's just a really good time. Uh, I really enjoy the podcast, but I think even for people who aren't into the podcast, I think it's a great live experience. And I like, I I think seeing them live would sell you on the podcast, make you a bit of a listener. Because what happens every time they tour is, it kind of because it's not it's in isolation. As like I said, a little radio play. I tend to fall off listening to it. It comes out every two weeks. I tend to fall off keeping up with it and just have loads and loads of episodes banked and then they come around live again and I go see them and it reminds me of why I love it so much and then I end up like binging loads of episodes then when I'm finished um, yeah it's, it's a great experience and hey I also went to Token <laughs> Which, I mean it's always a good it time just, just adds a full star to every night yeah, those, at, uh, at some point they're going to start actually sponsoring this show I'll tell you of, what, uh, man, I had those brisket chili cheese fries. Woof. Can you stop telling me but, about no, anything no, that no, has no, no, meat on no, it? No, no, Mark, it's leading into a thing for you because my auntie who was with me, who's a big Night Vale fan, so I asked her, would she come with me? She had the vegan version uh, of those. Ah, okay. See, All right. see look, okay. There's, a, there's a method to my madness here, no, Mark. I just, I naturally presume you're a monster. She had that and she had the uh, the vegan hot dog there and had to ask me and then the waitress just to make sure there was no meat in it because that is how convincing their vegan stuff is there. It does taste like the real thing. Do you know what? I bought three packs of um, uh, these Linda McCartney uh, vegetarian sausages uh, the other day. Yeah. And I was having just, some... Just the plain ones or isn't there a rosemary and I, something? As there's well? one that's got... Um, no, I think it's the burgers that have mozzarella in them. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But these are just like plain sausages. And I was having them for lunch today, and I was like, there's no fucking, th- these must be real. And so I went back to the freezer, opened the box just to read it, and it says, no, it says it's vegetarian, but you know, yeah. it's it's insane how convincing they can be. Um, yeah. Like, cause they're, they're, they're some of Emma's favorites as well. My, my partner is vegetarian for those not in the loop. Yeah, because, uh, but like, yeah, the vegan stuff at Token is oh, it's fucking incredible really good mm. it's so good that i would eat it mm. you know what i mean and uh, like i'm not i'm not one to forego meat uh when the opportunity arises um anyway shall we finally get around to some video games that sounds like a fair idea playing this week hey check it out i learned the baseline from final fantasy 2 scott you are the salt of the earth well thanks i meant scum of the earth Thanks. Mark, would you like to go first or will I? Uh, well, I mean, I presume we're both going to be talking about Wargroove, but I mean, I can, I, I suppose I can uh, finally maybe finish up on some of the stuff that I've been playing over the uh, the Christmas period. Um, sure. So I played a bunch of Smash. Yeah, well, you are the world's greatest Smash brother. I player. am, in fact, the world's greatest Smash player. And so, yeah, I was with my friend uh, Dylan over the Christmas period, and he bought Smash on Christmas Day. 
Uh, and I've I've dabbled with Smash over the years, and I've just I've never. I've always found it to just be too chaotic and lacking in any actual kind of substance. It's just, it's a very uh, frantic, it's just too chaotic for my liking. Uh, and I've never found there to be any kind of rhyme or reason to... It is safe to say, especially when you get an eight-player smash, there's a lot going on. Yeah, but I can also see what the appeal of that is in, in how frantic it is. Um, but that never did anything for me. Um, but, so... We got it this time, and we were just doing a lot of one-on-one um, combat uh, uh, mode. And after a while, um, when I also slowly realized that I was, in fact, the world's greatest Smash player, which may have had something to do with it, uh, I realized, A, that uh, you know a lot of the characters actually do have their own, uh, you know, own spin, own flavor, and a lot of that is on the, the moves that they have. And that... Playing as different characters would require, you know, different strategy. Um, and I found that playing one-on-one, uh, there was a lot more of a feeling of... Um, it was a lot more tense, and it was a lot more focused, and I realised that I was actually attempting to fucking play the game instead of just hammering any buttons because nothing felt like there was any purpose to it. And after about two pretty solid days worth of, of gameplay I came to a uh, an epiphany that Smash is actually okay I don't think by any means is <laughs> it my, it's by no means my, my go to fighting game of choice but I am fine with Smash I've made my peace with Smash if someone asked me if I wanted to play a game of Smash with them I would happily play because I will beat them because I'm in fact the world's greatest Smash player <laughs> It's a real Arthur pulling Excalibur from the stone sort of moment for you, isn't it? Uh, but I was just, I, you know, um, I really enjoyed the fact that Bowser does a drop kick. I think that's part of the reason that I enjoyed Smash was just because I kept doing that and I kept just fucking smashing um, Dylan out of the arena, just doing that alone. Um, and I like, I like what they do with the the story mode and I like that you know pretty much just cons- consistently after a couple of rounds uh, you just you're constantly unlocking characters it's a very satisfying game in regards to that that you constantly mm-hmm. up until you know I imagine by the point you've unlocked everyone but by that point you've got like a thousand fucking characters but yeah Nintendo are great at that like giving you kind of uh, like p- feeding you piecemeal these accomplishments to keep you motivated enough to keep going yeah and I, I can see the argument both ways because some people hate that kind of thing would rather just have like the entire roster unlocked at the start but I like that um, you get kind of characters introduce you slowly one by one so you you, you know, if you get a new character, you're going to test them out and see what you think about them. So, you know, yeah. by the time you've unlocked everyone, there's a good chance that you have at least tried all the characters at least once to just to kind of see what they're like. Mm. Um, and, and you know, the, the game is obviously very pretty and the level design, the level stages and how, again, how just there's so fucking much going on and how the levels themselves are, uh, you know, obstacles in their own ways. Um, I really... The, the, the warrior wear level is uh, is incredible um, and I just enjoy everything about Isabella as a fighting character because it's just it's an absurd concept concept <laughs> so yeah um, smash is awesome and uh, the soundtrack is obviously awesome and all the the mixes of, of all those kind of classic Nintendo songs um, it's yeah it's good it's awesome it's groovy uh, and then the other thing was Burnout Paradise uh, so I, I hammered about a good 15-16 hours into that I really bounced off of Burnout Paradise the first time around because I got really fucked off with 
the the change that they made to make it making it this open world game and that yeah uh so when you're playing Burnout Paradise, you'll come to a set of traffic lights and it will give you whatever, whether it's a race or a, a road rage or whatever um, mode um, that it introduces to you. And then you'll play it and then you'll get to whatever the final destination is. So if we just go by it with a race and it will say, hey, you have to get from here to here, go. I like that it just goes, you find the path that works for you, that's cool. What I don't like is that there is no kind of immediate, hey, I fucked this up, I want to go again. Um, yeah. That... That in itself was the thing that uh, just turned me off of it the first time around. Didn't turn me off of it this time around, but I still um, certainly about halfway through the game, I really started to feel the grind of getting into that situation. Was like, okay, I have to go all the way back to the other side of the map now just to start this race again. And uh, there's that snappiness that you kind of want from a game like that that it doesn't mm. have, and uh, and that annoyed me. Um, but with that said, it's still burnout, and and you know when you hit boost and you hit a ramp and you do a corkscrew in the air and then you land on top of another car while fucking Allison Chains is playing in the background. During those moments, it's kind of one of the best games of all time. So yeah, it's there's stuff about it that has aged well. There's stuff about it that really hasn't, um, and that's going to be that's going to be the same for pretty much any game from that period of time i think that you that you re-release without doing like significant under the hood stuff too um and they really like they weren't going in there and, and rebuilding the whole thing it was just kind of um putting a fresh lick of paint on it to make it look real good yeah. uh on on current gen consoles um but that that sounds a lot like because i more bounced off it the second time than the first time because of those things that have aged about it um that i had kind of not so much forgotten about but I was looking at them for the first time with 2018 eyes at the time and just going wow yeah this isn't this isn't like living up to this kind of like the pedestal it had been on um, in some ways now and in theory I get why they have you know Paradise City start every time that you start the game but after about four or five times I'm like alright I'm good now yeah move along nothing to see here anymore <laughs> so indeed yeah um let's talk about a game that we've both been playing yeah let's do that war motherfucking groove son it's a pretty um, good game yeah uh, so i talked gushed ad nauseum bit to the point now where jack is buying it before he gets his boat over here uh, at the weekend to see us um so i i've made one sale you're very welcome chucklefish uh Talk to me about your Wargroove experience, and I'll, I'll chip in as I feel necessary. So I, uh, where am I up to? Um, the last, uh, the last mission I did was one of the side missions where you're the green fingers plant boss thing, and you have to take on one of your minions who's defected, essentially. Yeah. Um, and uh, that took a while. Um, yeah. I've I found that doing like any mission, uh, and it might be because I'm distracted by other things, or I don't know what it is. Or maybe I just haven't found my war groove yet. Oy. But uh, there he is. Any any uh, any mission I'm doing seems to be taking about a good hour. And where I'm thinking, oh yeah, this would be about seven or eight turns. I'm on like turn twenty five. I'm like, what the fuck? This is going on forever. No, um, no, that is that that is definitely not just you. And not just me, but that seems to be the kind of the 
the the popular experience is that the the campaign missions take a lot longer than you'd necessarily think and kind of for the the missions that are as long as you think they're going to be in your head that's what arcade mode is for in this game yeah and i think i mean for me as well personally like i'm a very um defensively orientated player like i like to build and build and build and build and then go and attack um so that's probably partially playing into why my my rounds taking so long because i'm a lot more conservative um with my style of play but um it's still it's probably why as well you didn't we, we were chatting off the air over the week about where you were and stuff and um that first mission with the dogs is one that I got stuck on for a long, long time. And it is because my style of play is attack, attack, attack. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. that that's the first mission where it really punishes you for not slowing the fuck down. Yep. Uh, if yeah, you try to advance too far, I think it's by turn seven, stuff just starts popping into the map all behind and around you. Um, yeah, it's, it gets real bad real quick. Yeah, there was one mission... Um where what was it yeah that that snitchy little tree fingers bastard um like coming to attack you and you're trying to um escort the the villagers with the wagon it's the first mission with the wagon and uh, Mm -hmm. you're trying to get them from one side of the map to the other and there's a bit where um a whole bunch of enemies kind of pop from about three different parts of the map and uh, i had because I play so defensively, I was in a position where I could kind of defend myself. But I definitely, if you're playing with a more attack-focused mindset, you'd have been <laughs> fucked pretty quickly. Yeah. But um, it's good. It's you know, again, as we kind of said last week, that it takes all of the things about Advanced Wars. It takes it and it applies it and adds on it. Um, I'm waiting. I'm now at the point where I'm ready for the game to give me a little bit more because I've had a couple of missions where I've had. Um, the, the 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 newest uh, unit that I've had given to me is the uh, giant slingshot. Yeah, the um, trebuchet. The trebuchet, yeah. Um, so I'm kind of waiting for it to give me something else now um, and yeah. to uh, expand on that. The one thing that I haven't found much use for yet is the um, your commander's like special skills per round. Mm. Uh, I haven't found me using them. Um, uh, I've used the... Um... Oh, is it Emmerich or what's his name that has the, the defensive shield? The, yeah. the little diamond that he drops and anybody within there has really increased defense. Mm. Um, I, I've used, I find that quite useful. But other than that, yeah, I'd kind of like, I could go without um, a lot of the, the skills. Yeah, a lot of times just I haven't found the the opportunity to use it at the right time. And it's just if I mm. use it, it'd be a waste of it. So, um, but still, I'm still war grooving. I'm still enjoying it. I still think that it's a a very well put together game, um, and uh, I'm just hoping that it just it just keeps expanding on you know, on its variations of a theme. Because um, if yeah. it keeps doing that for like the next ten hours, then money well spent. Have you uh, touched any other mode in it yet? Because no. I, I haven't. I've been all about the campaign mode so far. No, I've just been. I've been popping on for an hour at a time to do one mission in the campaign, um, and you know that's going to keep me going for a while. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm the same. I, I think it's a case of either it, I'd have to hit a wall in a very, very frustrating way to go out of career mode now or campaign mode, should I say? Mm. Um, I'm going to try stick with it to the end and then kind of arcade play then for the end as a treat. 
when I finish. Um, that's my mode of thinking, anyway. Um, the the any anything else on that now before we move on? Just I don't I don't want to cut you off. You no, no, I I just I just want to keep playing it, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, hopefully by next week, um, I'd have broken more significantly into it, so we have more things to talk about. But mm. um, yeah, I don't think there's there's much else I can add. More I can yeah. add to it at the moment. And as well, in what I'm about to talk about, we we I, I should be clearing my slate off my a bit more of my pile of shame. Um, and I'll have a bit more room to do it. And I've got an upcoming trip to Germany where, Jesus, if I haven't really uh, played it inside out by then, that'll be when I do it. Um, but the other game I've been playing, because um, we'll, we'll park that Wargroove chat until we're, we're both further on, um, the, the other game I've been playing is still Resident Evil 2 Remake on PS4. Um, fuck, it's been a great start to the year uh, between Wargroove and this. We kind of said it last week. Um, it's about it's about as perfect from my point of view as you would want a remake of an old game to be. It like it went in there, it kept pretty much everything, um, to my knowledge that you would want Resident Evil Two to still have. Um, kept the story in large parts, kept the mapping out of the place in large parts, kept the vibe in large parts, and then changed things um, as needed. Uh, static cameras, tank controls, all this sort of thing changed, which is great. Um, I suppose the one from a from a control standpoint. Did, did you play Resident Evil Two back in the day? Um, not to any significant degree, but I've I've watched the whole game. Like you know, I've I've watched uh, playthrough videos and stuff, so I, I've seen the game from beginning to end. Yeah, so and you know the, the book, most importantly. <laughs> so you know the the safes the the actual combination safes that are in there not the the three letter safes the three letter lock safes the uh the ones that are proper like you think of a safe in a cartoon that gets dropped on wily e. coyote's head that kind of safe yeah 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 um so with those the one tiny little annoying thing that i, I get right immediately at my second go is that if you if you move left on the the dual shock that on the stick it moves right and if you move right it moves left which is a little bit frustrating when to do combination safes you have to move it to the left then move it to the right then move it to the left to get it right um so there's a little bit of kind of it feels like fucking an inverted axis sort of situation where it's it's the combination lock is moving in the way that your brain is not really ready for um but really enjoying it to, to give people uh, an idea of where I am. I'm in the nest now, so I'm I'm right kind of coming up onto the 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 kind of the final sequences of the game. Being absolutely loving it. My death count surprisingly low. Um, I died a lot in Resident Evil Seven because I was going from um, very rarely playing games where you have to do manual saves and and really tactically think about occasionally running back to where you know there's a typewriter to save. Um, so I was getting caught out a lot in that game. I'm, I'm boxing a little bit smarter in this one. Um, inventory management is a, it's a little bit tough, but not nearly as tough as the kind of scarcity of ammo has been. Now, literally, I'd say just about an hour before we started this podcast, I started to get into a bit of a groove where I was finding a lot of ammo. Um, but just based on the way this game is going, I don't expect that to last too long. Uh, fighting G is great. Um the the second fight in particular I had a whale of a time with um, the 
the fucking Mr. X, the tyrant, is uh, just this this great kind of thing in a game to have this like presence sort of haunting you throughout that there's no real rhyme or reason to when or where he'll show up and there's very few spots in that whole police department where you're actually safe from him um and you kind of have to it encourage as well as like my tip for people who haven't played the original resident evil don't stand and fight him you might as well just throw your ammo in a big bin nothing's going to happen to him except you will get a trophy if you shoot his hat off um but other than that it's just going to do no good you can put him down for a little while i think if you really bombard him but he will get back up very quickly um so you just run and it it, it encourages you in a really cool way to um learn the map to learn kind of okay i'm here he's after bursting through a door uh, where is the nearest safe room? There's a few of them. There's like the armory is safe. Uh, a couple of the safe rooms. Uh, I think one of the offices, the West office maybe is safe or the stars office and a couple of others. Um, and it, it behooves you to learn that map because it, in that police department, you can very easily get cornered uh, in a corridor. Uh, the times I've died uh, are usually when I've done that, when I've just panicked and just started running off in any direction and then just hit a dead end. And also, let's just take a moment to appreciate the uh, X gone give it to you meme videos. Oh, so good. The best since... Uh, people putting wrestling theme music on the helicopter in Metal Gear Solid <laughs> 5 a few years ago, yeah. Uh, somebody editing over every time the tyrant shows up with uh, DMX is is top quality entertainment. That's why, I, I won't, that's why I won't delete that hell app that is Twitter. Uh, ever. I, and I like that the, the audio is like dynamic, so it's not just yeah. it's on, it's off. There's actually like, you know it's muted when he's kind of round the corner or something it's just it's it's perfect it would be great it would be absolutely great if you actually could get into the code for that game and replace the sound because <laughs> another clever thing about the ty- having the tyrant there is that it forces you to play with the volume up because the only way to tell if he's coming is that you can hear footsteps grow louder and if somebody could get into the game code and just replace the sound of the increasing volume of footsteps with a doom 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 so that as soon as he bursts in the room it's perfect yeah that would be that would be a dream for me and maybe something for dlc who knows capcom are on the ball lately so who knows what they'll what they could possibly come up with um but yeah that's that's kind of going to do it for what we're playing this week and i imagine those are the games we're playing for the next couple of weeks so buckle in uh, everybody uh, let's move on to what the latest and greatest is in the world of gaming as we talk about the news news on the mark mark it's, it's rare enough uh, nowadays uh, without old Jackie T around anymore that we get these puritanical stories about uh, moves to uh, censor or in other ways discourage uh, violent video games but uh, thank god for the state of Pennsylvania uh, violent video games could get even more expensive than their family friendly counterparts in the future as Pennsylvania lawmakers attempt to add a sin tax which is a good pun uh, titles rated M by the ESRB the proposal would see extra money fund a new board dedicated to school safety in the digital age, hoping to prevent school shootings. 
Government statements have regularly linked tragedies with violence in video games, with President Trump holding a meeting with industry professionals last year to determine how entertainment is shaping young people's thoughts. Funnily enough, nothing ever came of that meeting, I'm shocked. Uh, in fact, the attempt to tax M-rated video games dates as far back as 2013, before resurfacing last year when Republican State Representative Chris Quinn attributed them, them as one factor that may be contributing to the rise in and intensity of school violence. Uh, Quinn's initial bill failed to gain, gain much traction, but with minor alterations, the newly proposed House Bill 109 wants to add a 10% sin tax on top of standard local taxes. Uh, although state tax can vary, this added on top of Pennsylvania's 6% tax would see a $60 game rise to between anywhere uh, between $65 and $70, presuming that the costs would ultimately fall on the customer. Now, Mark, I, I don't want to... It seems like every 20, 30 episodes, we, we trot out uh, our, our views on the absolute numpties uh, who believe that video games are responsible for all the world's ills. So we'll, we'll park that and not really get into it. Uh, but a sin tax is pretty fucking whopper. This is a, like, you know, you think you've seen all the angles to tackle the violent video games. Um, but this is, this is a novel one, at least. I'm, I'm going to be stunned when, uh, when we come to this in a, in a couple of years' time. And uh, the uh, the level of gun violence in America has not dropped, even with the use of uh, this syntax. Um, it, it's in here, even though like there's really there's not much that we need to say about this. We know exactly what this is and how this yep. will be completely ineffective as a way of dealing with gun violence in America. Um, yep. But hey, it's, here we it's are. a way to avoid actually having to treat the issue of there being too many guns. It's a way to look like you're tackling the problem without actually tackling it and raking in a few quid while you're at it. Yeah. <clears throat> the funny thing I find here is doing the, uh, the 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 board to dedicate to school safety in the digital age, <clears throat> which is like a really, I suppose, uh, admirable attempt to do something that I think is just. A fundamental misunderstanding by people like this is always that technology and the internet and uh, culture and video games and all this moves along at so quick a rate that by the time you establish this board and establish its rules and establish the way that we should increase safety for school children in the digital age, they've moved on to something else. Uh, and not only I'll, that, by the time they've established all this, there will probably have been another 250 school shootings. Yeah. And like I, I've, I, I spoke about this in, in work, actually, in my work. I'm, I'm a youth worker. Uh, and I spoke about it last week, uh, about how I've seen just in doing research for a project I'm doing at work, about how a bunch of different organizations you would expect to have a digital policy enacted either don't have one, have a pretty shambolic one or have one that's outdated and the more i thought about it the more i was like well the problem with that i suppose is that by the time you go through all the stages of drafting your policy and things like that like if you have a thing where you know the school is stopping children if it's a school school is stopping children from using whatsapp they'll just find another app you know or by the time you pass that by the board of management and things like that everyone's moved on from whatsapp to something else like discord or, or slack or um snapchat or something like that and jesus the fucking minefield that is trying to uh like 
Snapchat is both a very interesting tool and a very like fucking scary thing as well in terms of the fact that it keeps no memory and like you know it's who I do not envy anyone in the position trying to figure that shit out um that's for sure uh, but in terms of the the violent video game thing look we, we said a time in and time out it's just one of these things that is it's they're just beating it with sticks to feel better about themselves uh, to not address the actual problem before it was video games music was being blamed we've all seen the famous clip from bowling for columbine where marilyn manson was blamed for columbine so was south park so before it was music it was tv before it was tv it was films before it was films who knows what the fuck it was maybe there's particularly violent radio plays going on do you remember when marilyn manson was like the threat of america now he's just this middle-aged goth making substandard metal music yeah it's weird like you know um the dude that assassinated john lennon blamed um catcher in the rye so maybe we should get rid of books you know, it's like. It's I mean, just... if I'm sure, if America could have its way, they'd get rid of everything but the good book. <laughs> Indeed, um, but yeah, there's not really much more to say on that without really retreading old it's, ground for us. It's really fucking dumb. Yeah, it's really fucking dumb, really fucking weird. But at least you know what I mean. The novelty of a little bit of a new angle. Fair enough. <laughs> Alright, sure. All right, yeah. that, yeah. Do you know what I mean? That I'm not reading the exact same story every time, <laughs> at least I appreciate. Well done, America. Points for creativity. Yeah, here's a story. Uh, Activision offers refunds to Guitar Hero Live players after it removes Song Library. Uh, Activision has opened a refund program for uh, players of Guitar Hero Live after the publisher ended support for Guitar Hero TV in December, emptying its 500-strong library of all but 42 tracks. Uh, While Activision was able to defend itself against a recent lawsuit about the decision, the company has now voluntarily opened a refund program. Right now, refunds are only open to residents of the United States who can prove they bought the game between the 1st of December 2017 and 1st of January 2019. Uh, Activision is offering a voluntary refund program for customers, blah, 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 blah. That's kind of just the official statement from them. I don't really need to go through that. Ideally, you need a receipt or a copy of your bank credit card statement, but even if you don't have tangible proof of purchase, you may still submit a completed claim form and Activision will attempt to verify eligibility. The refund amount will depend on what you paid for the game and will not exceed the standard retail price. Um, I'm curious to know um, exactly like how Activision themselves made an, an announcement about this because um, I... I wonder how many people, like, you know, someone who purchased the track from Guitar Hero in, like, 2017, are they really going to go through the effort of, of making a refund claim for this? Yeah, um, I, I guess if, you, um, if you're someone who's only bought one or two tracks, you probably wouldn't bother, but, like, we all know the kind of Guitar Hero rock band fiends who will, like, spend an absolute rake of cash, and there must be a handful of those, um... Like, I would go to parties in college where it was just like, do you spend money on anything but DLC for Rock Band? Um, but, like, I guess they'd already beaten the beaten the, the court case, so it it's pretty out of the ordinary for somebody, let alone Activision, to voluntarily open up refunds having already escaped legal trouble for not doing so. I, I, I will think that them doing this is because they think that you know the amount of money that they're going to lose on this or that they're going to have to refund is probably like not that substantial um yeah it, I, it's nice to offer sort of thing yeah 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 because i i mean for me if i purchased i don't know 10 quids worth of uh tracks 
in even like six months ago, there's no fucking way I'm going to go through the effort to get that ten quid back. You know, it's just yeah. it's not that substantial. So it's it's a shame because the Guitar Hero Live uh, more than Rock Band Four. Rock Band Four was fun, but it was just more Rock Band. But Guitar Hero Live was kind of it did uh, try to uh, expand on you know what had come before because that was the big thing. Like with those yeah. two games coming back, it was a case of like you can't just do more of the same just because it's been ten years since. It's genuinely frightening that that was nearly four years ago as I, well. I mean, like fucking, I've been in Ireland for three years. That's terrifying. Yeah. So, um, but I think one of the things is I didn't really like the. I can't remember which game had which guitar controller, but I, I know one of them had changed the the layout of the guitar hero. It did yeah. three on the top, three on the bottom. Didn't do it for me. Didn't like it. Yeah, when you're used to doing it one way, and it like I I appreciate that they're um, they're changing it to kind of like it did make it much more challenging um and part of that is because it's kind of your muscle memory to have the the buttons across rather than two rows um maybe would have been received better if they had tried it when the games were on more of a kind of a high point of popularity rather than like when it's your comeback game you kind of just want to go what people like uh, and test the water if people are still interested which is kind of more along the lines of what Rock Band did and kind of both games came out turns out not a lot of people were interested yeah um, um, which is a shame I you know like you um, had fond, fond memories of playing the guitar and Rock Band um, back in the day but they had their time and that time has, has really just come and gone now yeah um, which is yeah, like you said, it's a shame, but it's kind of every generation has its thing uh, like that that kind of is huge for a while and then it goes away and like it'll be looked at maybe with kind of a fond nostalgia like the duck hunt gun uh, or the the power glove or the fucking socom headset or some some shit like that in years to come. Um, good old Paul W S Anderson is releasing a movie that isn't Resident Evil. I am stunned um but it still stars uh, does it still start no it doesn't um anyway i'll read uh if you've been awaiting the arrival of paul ws anderson's new monster hunter movie uh with bated breath and not necessarily because you're incredibly excited to see it uh you may now begin the countdown towards exhalation sony pictures has announced that monster hunter will be hitting cinemas possibly with a faint squelching sound on september 4th next year that release date uh, has been a long time coming. A Monster Hunter film was first rumoured to be in the works back in 2012, seven fucking years ago. Uh, as we know now, it's being held by Resident Evil and Event Horizon director Paul W.S. Anderson and stars, ah, yes it does, Mila Jovovich. <laughs> there, we there you go. That was yeah, it. That's yeah, what we're waiting for. Yeah. Putting the wife in the film. Fair play to you. Uh, Diego Bonetta, Ron Perlman. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> uh, Megan Good and Tony Jaa. If you're curious how Anderson and Co. have chosen to adapt Capcom's beloved Monster Hunter series, uh, here's the official synopsis. And I'm telling you, when if you told me um, the the picture I would see under this, people in military fatigues in what looks like the Persian Gulf doesn't really uh, match up with what I would have thought. Anyway, uh, behind our world there is another a world of dangerous and powerful monsters that rule their domain with deadly ferocity. When Lieutenant Artemis Jovovich and her loyal soldiers are transported from our world to the new world. The unflappable lieutenant receives the shock of her life in her desperate is... battle for survival against enormous enemies with incredible powers and unstoppable, terrifying attacks. Is that... Artemis will team up with a mysterious man, Tony Jaa, who has found a way to fight back. 
I'm, I'm pretty sure that's just the plot to the Mario Brothers movie. Yeah. And, like, Jumanji. And Jumanji, yeah. 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 Uh, I bet it will be bad. That's my hot take. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully the... at least schlocky bad. Well, no, because, like, not even... The the Resident Evil movies haven't even been schlocky bad since... Uh, the, the first one was kind I of... I was going to say since the first one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, not that I'm any kind of fucking person who's looking for an exact, um, you know, perfect adaptation of a Resident Evil film, because, I mean, Lord knows the fucking plot lines of those games are just absurd. Um, but, you know, at least some vague attempt to uh, match what's going on in the games with, um, you know, matching up into into a film. Although, I, you know, I, I know next to nothing about Monster Hunter, so... Uh, although fuck it, there's fucking a Tetris film coming, so sure, why not make a Monster Hunter film? Yeah, <laughs> whatever. They're, they're they're gonna anyways. We might as well just grin and bear. Yeah, pretty much. And definitely review it on this program. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ubisoft dropped the Division Bay over last weekend, I believe. A uh, friend of the show, former co-host Brian McNamara, uh, was letting me know. I think it's like a whopping like fifty gigs or something for this beta. Some absurd amount, anyway. Um. Ubisoft has released a statement advising you to restart the beta every two or three hours to avoid <laughs> crashing. Uh, the beta represents an unfinished oh, version of the game, all caps unfinished, I'm sure. Uh, of course, so you should expect some bugs, but Ubisoft has today issued a blog post advising players to be careful with two big ones in particular. We're aware of an issue where your game client will crash after extended gameplay session. To circumvent this, we recommend you restart your game client every two to three hours. Secondly, on all platforms, if you are outside the game and receive a game invite from a friend within the game, the game your client will crash at launch to work around this problem make sure to start the game first and join group directly from inside the game uh the division 2's beta runs uh until sunday the 10th of february so it's over now as you're listening to this uh for those who previously signed up for entry or pre-ordered the game um oh boy that first one sounds um like some sort of memory issue where the game's just uh, continuously building up like the the memory that it's storing, temporary memory, obviously, and then yeah. um, when it attempts to save that, yeah, or t- attempts, it attempts to do anything with it, just it gets to a point where it grinds to a halt and it can't load anymore and crashes. So uh, yeah, that's that's something they'll have to fix. But I mean, it's a beta, so I mean, I I can't ever. That game's out next month, though, so they'd want to get in fucking hurry. Well, that's probably why they have the beta out to, you know, that's the whole point of a beta, is to stress this, yeah. this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, you'd rather do it now than do it in a month's time, so... Yeah. I'll uh, tell you that, like, they have a lot riding on sticking the landing on this one, because the it came out, the first one came out, and it was kind of sparse, but it worked, and it was like the minute to minute gameplay was fun I played well, a lot at the start was it and then the two they, issues... every time they patched it they made it worse than... I, I thought the two issues of The Division or maybe may another game similar because a lot of these games run into to each other uh, one of the issues with The Division was that the way that you had to like sign up uh, you had to be what was it that you have to actually oh, yeah, physically the, have you, to go and sign yeah, up the, and... it was a physical queue yeah uh, which is a great the... idea in concept yeah it's a great immersive concept, but yeah. uh, execution not so much. That had kind of that had kind of sorted itself out within a couple of days, or at least when I played it, I wasn't able to play it on launch day. I think I was traveling, uh, so when it did come out, 
um, by the time I got to it, uh, that had been sorted. Thankfully, they, they put in a bit of a hot fix there. But um, yeah, it, its issues were more around kind of a lot of repetitive content uh, after a few hours and the fact that they repeatedly tried to patch it and fix it, but they would patch it and unbalance the game or make it worse. And I call that the MGS5 factor. Okay. Uh, and then I think by the end they they had tried they'd kind of put in some patches that put back in some thing, things or rebalanced some things and people were a bit less mad about it but they ran a lot of people off that weren't Brian that's for sure who yeah. I think has clocked in a bit between two consoles about five hundred legit about five hundred hours that's that's unnerving but yeah between because uh, we had the we were talking about Ubisoft last week and the Division Two with the whole government shutdown PR fiasco so they're uh, they're two for two. So, well done, Ubisoft. Good, good work, gang. Yeah. I'll see if um, you can keep that running tally till next week. Yeah. Uh, so this is related to something we talked about last week. Not much to say on this one, but uh, the the storage boost for Sony's PS Plus customers is available now. So uh, I, I believe when PS Plus Cloud Storage originally launched, it was one gig. Uh, and then a, f- a couple of years ago, it was definitely into the PS4 generation. Um, a couple of years ago, they upped it to 10 gigs, which was more realistic, and I don't think I've come close to hitting that. Uh, and now for all PS Plus members, it has gone up to 100 gigs. Um, and I-, I have always read this as them kind of trying to sweeten the pot after they kind of announced in tandem with that, that they were removing PS3 and Vita games from the monthly games list. So they kind of had to kind of counterbalance that with something good. Um, like, how big are your games, Aves, Mark? Was 10 gig not enough for you, or...? Um, no, for my PS4, because um, I had one of the early models, so I've got, I think I have a 500 gigabyte hard drive. Pretty sure yeah. I do. Um, but, like, I mean, I don't download... The only... The only Digital games that I download are, are indie games. Um, yeah. you know, if I'm playing Spider-Man, I'm going to get the physical copy of it. So yeah. I, I. But even really... in terms of like the size of your game saves are tiny. Like yeah. even for big games. Yeah, and so and for me, like if I finish a game, like as soon as I finish God of War, I immediately deleted the save file uh, from my uh, storage because I knew I wasn't going to go back to it and yeah. I don't I don't really bother with DLC and stuff so for me personally uh, like storage on my, my PlayStation has never been an issue but that's just because I'm continuously clearing stuff as soon as I'm finished with it yeah I'm like I'm not that kind of strict but like I'll delete stuff like we talked about earlier how I deleted Wolfenstein over and over again and I, I expanded my I or no sorry I don't have an expansion drive in the, the pro since I got it so it's it's a terabyte but I don't really have enough games on the go at any one time where I'd need more than that and again yeah I never even came close to the the, the 10 gigabyte limit uh, that they had but uh, I, I guess it's just one of those things where it's not something that I probably need to rely on, but it's nice that the option is there for people who really, really hate deleting game saves. Um, I know some games that have, like, say, for example, if you were someone who subjected yourself still to WWE games, uh, the game save size increases exponentially if you download a lot of wrestlers online. So I know when I used to get those games... Um, 
I would notice that that was taking up like that one game save was taking up several gigs by itself. So if you are into multiple games where there are situations like that and there's a lot of content you can download, this might be a great day for you. Um, but yeah, not not so much for me, I don't think. Uh, moving on. Uh, that's the end of the news, is it? Yeah. Uh, we'll move on now to the release date roundup. No delays this week, which is a first for the year. Well, none uh, that I found anyway. Yeah, at least yeah, at least none that you found. <laughs> none that really came across our radar. Um, appropriate enough for this week, a new Plants vs. Zombies and a new Need for Speed are on the horizon, according to EA. Uh, they will be released before the end of March 2020. The publisher listed the two underwraps titles last night as part of its latest investor call and promised both... Uh, before the end of the current financial year. So what are these likely to be? EA's fresh Plants vs. Zombies seems likely to be Shooter 3 Quill Garden Warfare 3, which was previously name-dropped in a tie-in comic. Yes, it has tie-in comics. Um, That's that's the big thing about this for me. (laughs) That's why you put it in here. I mean, what the fuck doesn't have a comic these days, you know? Yeah, this is true. Um, and Need for Speed well it'll be another entry from Ghost Games the team has had its usual two years to cook up another go round at the EA, EA Racing franchise uh, Payback being the last one uh, to me Need for Speed is one that I don't know why they're flogging this dead horse anymore because uh, I have not been jazzed and nor has the, the general public about a Need for Speed in a long old time no, it, it very much just it's one of those games you expect to hear about every couple of years. Um, yeah. I guess while it's still making whatever coin that EA can get from it, they'll keep making them. But it's, yeah, neither of these are particularly, uh, even though obviously Plants vs. Zombies is our book club feature for the week, uh, neither of these are, are particularly exciting or compelling announcements. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, I don't think I've been like played extensively a need for speed game since the original need for speed underground which was a banger Mm. um new titanfall game this year um there's going to be a new entry in the titanfall franchise as a new game is set last weekend yeah (laughs) indeed there you go um but this yeah so uh apex legends was as 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 Mark cleverly referenced there, a game that's set in the Titanfall universe. But in addition to that, uh, they're working on more Titanfall for later in the year. This is from Vince Sampella over at Respawn. And which game are they going to have it released the week after? Yeah, it's going to be, let's pick the worst week of the year to release <laughs> this and do it exactly then. Uh, yeah, and it's not a VR game. Um, there's not really much more detail on that. It's not going to be Titanfall 3, um, which is a shame, because I love Titanfall 2. <laughs> um, but yeah, more Titanfall content, and hopefully, uh, as you say, it won't be sent out to die. But uh, well, I have a... no faith, because they are on quite a run of sending those games out to die. And Doom Eternal's this year, isn't it? Uh, I can only fucking hope so, my friend. So, yeah, we're going to say at least a week When of... do... Their, their games usually release, or, well, the Wolfenstein, last Wolfenstein was December, so it might be pretty late. I don't know, maybe. Um, we'll say the week after Doom Eternal, just to yeah. you know, really seal the deal with that one. 
Um, Super Mario 2 and Kirby's Adventure are coming to Nintendo Switch Online yeah. this month. Uh, are, how are you with uh, Kirby's Adventure and with uh, Doki Doki Panic? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I've never really properly sat down to play Kirby's Kirby game before. Um, other than the... Uh, whatever one was released on the Wii U, which was a perfectly serviceable six or seven hours. Uh, I've, I've never... I enjoy Kirby for what Kirby is, but I've never really um, properly played through a, a kind of traditional 2D Kirby platformer. Now, Doki Doki Panic, on the other hand, is an excellent Super Mario Brothers game. And... Um, yeah, don't know what this means. I don't know, like, you know, that, that virtual console, is that a thing that's coming anytime soon? Who knows? Uh, what the fuck Who is really this? ever knows? What the fuck is this? And yeah. it seems just completely random, like, these two games, of any fucking games they could go for. Why these two? Mm. Uh, I, Dave, give me answers. Tri- Come on now. Look, Mark, sitting down and trying to understand Nintendo is a fool's fucking errand. Uh, you know that. Um, hey, moving on to the, the last story here in our release date roundup. Uh, Mark up the first time we mentioned this year Crackdown which is allegedly still coming out and Shadow of the Tomb Raider coming to Xbox Game Pass in February uh, plus Batman Return to Arkham and a few more uh, Microsoft has unveiled the title set to be made available for Game Pass subscribers in February including Crackdown 3, Shadow of the Tomb Raider and more Crackdown 3 is obviously the brand spanking newest of the bunch and joins as is the case for all Microsoft first party titles Xbox Game Pass the same day it launches for purchases uh, on February 15th for those keeping track Crackdown 3 is also Xbox Play Anywhere and is offering Xbox One X Enhanced um, Tomb Raider is arriving on February 7th um, Look, I know we're really close and they haven't announced, like, it's literally this week. Uh, As we're recording this, it will be probably out on the day that this podcast launches. And still, after all these years, part of me is like, that game is getting delayed again. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It would just be, or something's going to go wrong. I don't know. I just, this game has killed its own buzz over the years it really has hasn't it that's the tragic thing at this point is uh it's so close to coming out and there's just there's no there's there's no buzz for it at all you know it's it's weird Um, but you know they like announcing it so far out that's that's what fucking happens sometimes I'm talking to you, Final Fantasy VII Remake. <laughs> well, I, that's that's a different beast altogether. Uh-huh. You know, beast, you're, indeed. You're, well, yeah, you're talking about something that has its its roots firmly uh, dug into that nostalgic tinge, uh, while this is just uh, a, a game that was announced so long ago that I can't even remember when it was announced and has been <laughs> delayed more times than... Uh, then I would deem necessary, but here we are. And uh, yeah, it's definitely... It's a, it's a... A big neon light should be put around it whenever you want to talk to uh, developers and publishers about um, when is the right time to announce a new project. Uh, and Crackdown 3 is a perfect example of when not to do that, which is yeah. so far out of distant fucking reach. So, Indeed. Yeah. Um, 
Right, that's the end of the release date roundup, and now it's time to talk all things Link to the Cast Book Club, that weekly feature, where we talk about an important game from the past that you should play for the first time. If you haven't before, play again if it's been a while. Uh, and this week is a Mark Robinson special as we talk Plants vs. Zombies. <laughs> Tower Defense video game developed and originally published by PopCap Games for Microsoft Windows and OS X. The game involves homeowners who use a variety of different plants to prevent an army of zombies from entering their houses and eating their brains. It was first released on May 5th 2009 and made available on Steam on the same day. A version for iOS was released in February 2010 and an HD, uh, an HD version for the iPad. An extended Xbox Live Arcade version introducing new gameplay modes and features was released on September the 8th, 2010. Uh, PopCap released a Nintendo DS version on January the 18th, 2011 with content unique to the platform. There was also a PS3 version and an Amazon App Store version and a Google Play version and a BlackBerry smartphone version as well, which I didn't realize was a thing. Um, since then, there's also been uh, Game of the Year versions released for Windows and Mac, and in January 2015, a free ad-supported version of the game was released for iOS. The game received a positive response from critics and was nominated for multiple Interactive Achievement Awards alongside receiving praise for its musical score. A sequel, Plants vs. Zombies 2, It's About Time, was released in 2013 for iOS and Android. So... We have done uh, one pop cap game in our book club uh, series before, which was Peggle, which uh, Dave Ryan is a game that I fucking love, and uh, it's it's easy to see why uh, pop cap games, whether it be uh, Zuma or Bejeweled Two or Plants vs Zombies or Peggle, uh, could be sneered at from the the more um, hardcore portions of the video game uh, public playing public because they are they're casual games you know they don't require too much in the way of, of fault and they are there to just kind of um, play while trying to distract yourself you know you know if you're in the office and just need something to distract yourself from certainly Bejeweled 2 good lord uh, I could easily distract myself if I had an office job at the time playing that um, now I came to uh, Plants vs Zombies, uh, the Xbox Live Arcade version, as you know, just anything at that time uh, on the Xbox Live Arcade was was my go-to. And uh, I'm going to start with you, and I want to find mm. out like the first time that you played it, and, and kind of your experiences with with Plants vs Zombies. Okay, are we so gonna, are we going to say PVZ? We're going to do that. <laughs> um, context and and disclaimers here. Um, so I'm somebody who. Uh, by and large, uh, I would say open to most uh, genres of video games. Um, I know a big kind of missing patch 
historically for me was RPGs and JRPGs, but I've tried to correct that and uh, give them a chance this past generation or so. Um, and in terms of Western RPGs, that has certainly paid off uh, in like the likes of The Witcher becoming one of my favorite games of all time. But anyway, um, there's that. And then there's the fact that, you know, when these games come up in the book club, if, if time permits and I have uh, access to them, uh, I, I like to try and play these games again to refresh them. All that being said, Mark, I'm going to lean back from the mic as I say this. I couldn't give a fuck about tower defense games, generally <laughs> speaking. <laughs> um, one of my favorite games of this generation is Sunset Overdrive. And you should have seen the fucking look on my face when I realized that there was tower defense mini games at crucial points in that game to progress. I, I loved it as well when Gears of 4 did that like five fucking times. Fuck me, running and yeah, I got real thick with that as well yeah. in Gears of War. Yeah. So, look, I played a, a tiny bit of like a minuscule amount of Plants vs Zombies. The I I wouldn't have even touched it because of the terror defense, only for the fact of as I joked about in the intro to this show, if there's any like young children in your kind of family orbit. Uh, around the time that this and particularly Garden Warfare came out you're never hearing the fucking end of it it's like Minecraft all over again and the the remarkable thing to me about Plants vs. Zombies is how like I said it's this company Popcap Games who made something like Peggle which while there is that hardcore fan base like you and like I believe Dan who used to live with us is a big Peggle guy um I, I wouldn't say that it necessarily permeated wider culture in in anywhere even in the same stratosphere as uh, this game has. It just had this in a way that baffled me. This kind of like <laughs> crossover. And this is not me shitting on Palka Games. Just from where I come from and if I were to think what is a genre of game that you're like the kids are going to fucking love that. Tower Defense is not where I would have gone, but you can walk into a Penny's or a Primark if you're listening from the UK, just to like a an average clothes retailer at the time, and they've got fucking Plants vs. Zombies merch. You go into fucking GameStop at the time, and it was fucking caked in it almost as much as it was in Minecraft merch and shit like this. So my interest in this game is not from uh, a playing perspective, but more in the kind of... I'm excited for you to explain to me how this game is so fucking popular. Well, that bit I can't do. Um, but, you know, Plants vs. Zombies is one of those games that we have here because we, we have... Uh, uh, a div- diverse uh, criteria for what we kind of qualify for, for talking about on the book club. Significant is the word. I and mean, It definitely is significant. Yeah. Um, so Plants vs. Zombies itself, like, as a game, uh, as mentioned, is uh, it's a tower defense game. And um, the, the first, uh, the early couple of levels which introduce you to the, the basic mechanics of the game. So on the right-hand side... You have uh, zombies that are uh, constantly coming towards you from the right to the left. And on the far left-hand side of the screen is the house that they're trying to get into. And if they get into the house, then it's it's uh, an instant game over. Uh, and the way that you defend, and the zombies come in a, a variety of different um, 
dumb outfits that uh, you know represent kind of different levels of armor that they have. So you have your basic zombies to start with, and they're slow and they can be dealt with um, with just a single pea shooter easy enough. But then you soon start dealing with uh, zombies that have uh, cones on their heads that have a little bit more defense. Then you have zombies that have buckets on their heads. And then before long, you've got fucking uh, zombies coming towards you that are driving sombreros. It's, um, it's ridiculous. And uh, you then have, like, different elements as well. So you'll have... Um, uh, your garden that's kind of based on a, on a tile grid type system uh, you'll have like six lanes and you'll have like the middle two lanes which uh have is water so you'll have zombies that uh you know have like um like a rubber ring around them and and inflatable armbands on and it's a very you know it's it's, it's a very humorous game and it's it's graphically it's um it's purely based in kind of comedy and, and slapstick in regards to that and so your uh, defense is, as mentioned, it's, it's plants. And uh, how you uh, how it works is that the, the currency is uh, like sunshine, um, which kind of makes sense because it's, it's plants. Um, and so every so often uh, a, a sunshine pellet will drop, uh, which is uh, worth uh, 25 points. And then um, you know, most of the... Uh, plants that you can get are like 50 points or 100 points or 150 points and then um, you know the more powerful plants will cost more sunshine so you, you have to you know trade off on like do you want to get more of the the lower um, cost the cheaper plants but the offset being they're not as powerful as the more expensive plants um, and the early part of the game does the, uh, a very good job of introducing you to the basic mechanics so you have the sunshine flower which um, doesn't attack but it will drop its own sunshine pellet so you know if you get five of those uh, planted pretty quickly you're going to be picking up the the sunshine uh, a lot quicker and you're going to be building up your points a lot quicker to get other plants uh, obviously being the offset being that you don't have anything to attack the zombies are coming towards you and uh, from there you have like your standard kind of pea shooters which then evolve into different types of pea shooters so you have uh, ones that can shoot more than one P and then you have the ones that um, will freeze an enemy and, and make them uh, even slower as they're coming towards you um, and then from there you've got uh, like potato these giant potatoes that act as like a wall and so the zombies will uh, so when a zombie comes towards a plant it can it will start eating it and then the plant will be destroyed and it'll move on to the next one until it, the zombie itself gets destroyed so you have like uh, these potato walls which are there because they take ages for a zombie to get through so you know to to barricade uh, you have the, the thing that works about plants versus zombies and what kind of adds to its kind of wider cultural appeal is the the overall kind of presentation of design and how it incorporates different types of artillery through the medium of, of plants. Um, so, you know, you have like uh, mines that are uh, represented as like spud potato or potatoes that explode and, and kind of cover the zombie in like a combination of like mash and chips. Um, you have cherry bombs, which pretty self-explanatory uh, and all these kind of different things where they take plants and they turn them into weapons and it's it's just it's a very visually appealing game um, yeah 
And well, that's like if something was going to get me on board, it is that the style this game has, and it does have that. Uh, you know, it, it does. Ha- it's you know, it's a game unto itself. You like, there's nothing else that looks and feels like Plants vs Zombies, and um, and it doesn't even feel like a pop cap game almost because like Peggle and Bejeweled and Zuma have. I'm not sure the best way to describe it, but they have a more kind of polished, refined visual style to them, where Plants vs. Zombies feels very much more like a, a webcomic series, I think is the best way to describe how it looks. Mm. And it's, it's completely its own visual style um, that you wouldn't, make, wouldn't make you think at first that it is a PopCap game. Um, but it takes a specific uh, gameplay element like Tower Defense and it, and it refines it down into this very kind of basic... Uh, idea and then as, as all the best games are takes that basic idea and then um, varies on that theme until you have the same game but expanded with, with different zombies and different enemies and uh, like all good games it makes that progression slow and steady and lets you learn um, all the different types of, of enemies and, and weapons that are at your disposal until the point that you're then um you know, selecting because you can only hold, I think it's like up to seven or eight weapons at a time, and you've suddenly got like 30 different weapons. You have to pick the ones that are the most effective for you, uh, whether just because of your playing style or just because that particular level demands that you should use these specific uh, weapons in mind. And the thing about it is that really is the game in a nutshell. You know, uh, you explain, you can explain plants versus zombies. In about 15 seconds, it's, you know, zombies to the right, plants to the left, tower defense, um, collect sunshine pellets. And do you think that's maybe the common denominator in these games that really, like, break through and kind of become this pop cultural force is the fact that you could basically explain it in half a sentence? Well, yeah, and I think as well that the whole appeal of casual games and the whole design philosophy around casual games is you're making them for someone that doesn't play video games. So they have to be simple. They have to be something that you can figure out and start playing and not have to have it you know, explained to you with a whole bunch of words. Because Plants vs. Zombies, it's very like, here, here is this, pick this up, use it here, boom, done. Um, you know, it gives you a very brief blurb of what a, an item does and how to use it but you just pick it up and you use it see what it does and you figure it out that way and yeah that's you know that's pop caps mantra like bejeweled 2 is a very simple thing peggle is the most simple fucking thing in the world it's just it's also incredibly challenging to try and clear all the pebbles on a particular stage uh, and that same rule applies to plants vs zombies just it's a tower defense game instead of whatever the fuck you want to call, or, like, instead of a, a match three is Bejeweled, or whatever the fuck you want to call Peggle. Um, and the good thing about Plants vs. Zombies is that PopCap didn't just rest on the laurels when it came to porting it across to, um, to different platforms. Uh, like, Plants vs. Zombies has, has an insane amount of uh, different uh, ports, but they did good by adding different modes like you have the adventure mode you have the mini games um there's a survival mode there's a friggin zen garden um which 
I don't even know what that is, but it, you know, it took the time to add all these different modes. Then um, you have like play uh, co-op and versus, which is where I came into it when playing it on Xbox Live. Um, and it incorporates all of these and it does them all very, very well. Um, now, I don't think any of them are um, the thing that adds to the you know, overall like cultural impact that Plants vs. Zombies did, but certainly for uh, anyone that wanted to enjoy it on a slightly more hardcore level, that stuff is there with the verses and, and the online modes. What? Uh, how would I phrase this question? Um, what to you still looking back? on the original Plants vs. Zombies now. Um, like, you talk about the, the style, you talk about the, the variations and the different enemy designs kind of changing things up uh, and kind of deepening gameplay, but you talk about it as a fundamentally casual experience as well. Uh, looking back at it now, now that we've had not only this, but the, the sequels in, in, in Garden Warfare and stuff like that, what holds up the best for you? And what kind of are you glad was improved upon in the later games um so i never as in terms of like the console ports because i never played uh the sequel mm. and i've never played garden warfare so i can okay well go with me what, what do you think holds up the best that if it was trotted out in the the upcoming sequel that we were all hearing about now <laughs> um what what stuff holds up the best and what would you hope would be kind of uh, improved upon? Um, so one of the things, so what holds up the best about it, again, is the the simplicity of it and how easy it is. Like all the best games are the ones that are uh, easy to pick up and play. And within, you know, 20 to 30 seconds, you have completely understood what this game is and how it works. And it does a, a, an incredible job of making that all completely just, yep, right, I've got it. Um and it keeps things fresh by constantly uh, giving you new weapons, new different types of uh, ammunition and, and plants to, to use, uh, and lets you keep varying up like the different weapons that you want to use against the zombies and the, the you know the the waves of hell zombies come and the different types of zombies that there are means that uh, even though it's the same thing each time, it, there are differences in the tactic, tactics that you use. And there are like the different mini games as well. So you'll have some levels where instead of picking your um, eight different weapons that you want to use, you'll have uh, different uh, weapon cards that will show and um, they'll keep coming, coming to the left like on a conveyor belt. And then once that is full, you can't use any more. So you have to keep using the weapons that are given to you, but you don't get to pick them. But you, the ones that are there, you have to use. Um, and you have the challenge of you know the zombies coming towards you and having to use these weapons that you didn't ask for, but that's what's available at your disposal. Um, so that kind of adds a different twist on it. Mm. Um, I think that part of what works, what worked for um, Plants vs Zombies as well, is just the timing of it. Because yeah. you know, as mentioned numerous times before, that that period that um, time between 2007 to 2010 2011 was when um, indie games and casual games were really coming to the forefront of um, just being available because before that you know if I was going to play something like a game like Plants vs Zombies it would have been on 
not Facebook at the time, but um, any of those kind of uh, flash arcade type websites like Newgrounds or something like that, that is where you would see something like this. Um, and it would probably be slightly kind of cruder in its um, execution, but the core idea would be exactly the same. And stuff like um, Steam and more importantly for, for console users with the PS3 and Xbox Live Arcade is it you know gave a platform to these types of games mm. that were significantly cheaper but they still were, were packed with content uh, and and making them available so you know like if I didn't have Xbox Live Arcade I probably wouldn't have played this game and wouldn't have spent as much time with it and it just wouldn't have been as available um, as it was um, and I think that applies to you know so many games from that that uh, era. I remember. I think Zuma was like the first game um, that was quite early on. There was another game called Hexagon HD, uh, which was this uh, kind of very basic puzzle game, kind of in the, the similar vein to stuff you'd see like PopCap. That I got you know massively, massively absorbed into. Like when I first got my Xbox, it was uh, Hexagon HD and and Gears of War, and also even Pinata. Like they were my three games. So a whole kind of wide variety of games there. Um, and you know it's a game that could be released on any console and I imagine that um, you know anytime a new platform uh, it can appear on it will appear on uh, and I think that the because I remember playing the the iPad version of it is obviously it's like a perfect version of the game it works it, it was never I can't imagine it was designed with touchscreen in mind but it's such a perfect game because how defense kind of works in in that region because you can just drag and drop where you want to put plants and kind of that's it so it's it's so well tuned with that in mind which only you know further expanded on the the availability and the reach of the game uh hit me with your elevator pitch so plants versus zombies is something that uh you shouldn't just kind of turn your nose up to because it's by pop pop cap (laughs) don't do like i did kids yeah um it has. It is genuinely, actually, at points, quite a challenging game. Um, tower defense is not the most immediate or accessible or enjoyable uh, genre of video games, but Plants vs Zombies does it in a way where it uh, adds on loads of character and charm, and it's a you know it's an absurd concept of Plants vs Zombies, and keeps it fresh with each round by introducing new weapons until you've got like a whole ton of different uh, tools at your disposal. And uh, and then they made like some fucking weird like battle arena three D shooter because you know that's the world that we live in now, um, and then it got ruined because it's owned by EA and you know they milked it for all it's worth. But the original is available. I think it's available on Steam right now. Actually, it is because I bought it the other day in uh, preparation for this. It's like one twenty seven on uh, Steam right now for the game of the year edition. So that's it's pretty competitive. Pretty fucking competitive, yeah. Um. Yeah, cool. So that's Plants vs. Zombies. Uh, one more bit of business, uh, as we do on the show every week, and that's to uh, talk about the game that's going to be up for next week's book club, and it's my turn. Um, we're going only as far back as 2010. Uh, I'm going to talk about a game that I have a soft spot for. I have a soft spot for the source material. Uh, and also, there's kind of a sad story to tell related to this game. Um, and the... Uh, ability of people to uh, be able to play it for next week or not uh, as the case may be Uh, I want to talk about 
Scott Pilgrim versus the World, the game. <laughs> uh, do you know I never got around to playing that? Well, so you're going to be really sad about it. Yeah, yeah, I next am. week. Um, but I'm looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, so that's going to be for episode 135. It's going to do it for episode 134 uh, of the program. Uh, please do check out the the Link to the Cast podcast network. I really want to come up with a less pretentious name for that, but that's what we've got right now, so that's what you're going to have to deal with. Um, Facebook.com forward slash Link to the Cast, and that Link to the Cast on Twitter are the socials where you can keep up to date with content as we post it. We've been banging out like two podcasts a week pretty much for like most of the year uh so far which is weirdly productive for us um but that comes with the territory of having a couple of podcasts under our umbrella now not only do you get your weekly dose of link to the cast from us uh but we also have the grap up of which as you pointed out mark <laughs> on the program last week we've already made uh probably more grap ups this year in two months than we did in the entirety of 2018 uh, and there will be one on the way in a few weeks as i look set to head over to oberhausen for 16 carat gold 2019 we may even end up doing one next weekend with jack if i can find my fucking sd card for my recorder in the meantime stay tuned folks uh, we've also got the Popcorn Social, which is our monthly look at uh, movies. We've got one of those coming up uh, soon. We're hashing out at the moment the format for the first ever Soshis, our, uh, our kind of award season program where we're going to award some, some categories. We're kind of trying to find... Would you believe, Mark, that in a conversation that involves myself and one Jack Lazell, we're having trouble trying to figure the tone between serious and silly? Um, this is a stunning revelation. I know, right? But that uh, that show should be along before the end of the month. Uh, and then our sister podcast, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast no one asked for with myself and Lee Malone, also Voices of Wrestling. Um that will be dropping this week yeah we have episode three in the pipeline and then we'll be talking about snickers sold out two weeks from then that podcast drops every two weeks the other two are more kind of the popcorn social is monthly and the grab-up is kind of whenever we feel like it um so yeah that's our kind of network uh grab up and popcorn social are available in the same feed you subscribe to link to the cast in days of thunder is on its own podcast feed but you can get more details over at wcw thunder pod on the tweet machine for that um yeah for episode 134 i've been dave ryan at the day to dave on twitter man on the line here mark robinson at lithium project we shall see you all next week talking scott pilgrim versus the world